0: This is Peter Franson from Spiritblade.net. I'm thrilled to share with you this unique look into the origins of the Spiritblade audio drama trilogy. For more information about these cinematically produced full cast audio dramas, visit Spiritblade.net. And right now, prepare to dive into this enhanced audiobook experience as we present Spiritblade, a novel by Peter Franson. Part 2. The room burst to life in front of him as the holopad and his table lit up and projected the full-sized image of his rescuer. The ghost of the past seemed to look right at him as the recorded message ran. Hello, Merrick. He smiled gently. By now I am with the king. You haven't met him yet, but considering what you'll be going through, I'm sure it won't be long. If you're anything like I was, you have a lot of questions right now. I wish I could answer them all for you, but it's not safe to do it this way. There are some people who can help you. The next file contains directions on how and where to meet them. They will give you all the answers you've been searching for. My entire savings have by now been transferred to your account. This is our way. You will use these credits in the future to travel the world, taking up the work that I have now left behind. A great adventure awaits you. Rest assured that you will find the fulfillment in it that you have been looking for. Be strong and vigilant. There is much to dread, but there is more to rejoice in. The remaining files can only be opened using the advanced decoding program created for our cause. The others will unlock them for you shortly after your meeting. Your arrival will signal to the others the beginning of the restoration. Go tonight to the location given in the next file. Follow its directions precisely. Your timing must be exact. Lastly, when they take you into the Sanctum, tell them this. Tell them that Dirk's final vision was that of Scythe. Your destiny awaits, Merrick. Don't keep him waiting. Abruptly, the recording flashed off, automatically opening the next file. Pausing only for a moment to digest what he had just heard, Merrick turned to grab a data pad and began copying the instructions in front of him. "'Vince, can you hear me?' Rand whispered sharply into the crimson jewel embedded in the leather band on his forearm. "'Vince, buddy, I think you need to get out of there right now!' As the stone lit up, the response could be heard in Rand's mind, the echo coming strangely before Vince's voice, as was the usual fashion for this type of communication. Hang on, Rand. This guy knows the codes, I'm sure of it. Rand's eyes darted around the blackened office as he nervously brushed the sandy blonde hair from his face. I don't care, Vince. In less than two minutes when the sweep is clean, they're going to know the virus threat was bogus. The smeared clash of metal coupled with an electric hiss spilled into Rand's mind, followed by Vincent's labored baritone voice. It's all right. I've got them now anyway. I'm coming out now. A sphere of light the size of a softball flashed into existence and swept across the room. Widening and lengthening into a moving portal, it made its even course, allowing Vince to step out of it before it evaporated in a puff of glowing vapor. The same illuminant mist curled up off of Vincent's shoulders as he fell to the floor, releasing pain tension in an incoherent moan. In his black fatigues, matched to his dark eyes and raven-like hair, he all but blended into invisibility with the room. Ran Galvanic, Vince's friend of ten years, quickly gathered him up and propped him against the wall. "'You'd think the transfer would go a little smoother for you by now,' Ran joked, unable to hide the concern in his eyes. He thrust a ball of wadded clothes from his duffel bag into Vincent Kraft's collapsed chest. Vincent's weak left hand held the repairman's uniform to his waist and smiled faintly. "'You kidding?' Normally I can't see this good for another five minutes. In just over two, they walked out into the hallway, each wearing white computer tech overalls. Vincent smirked as they hurried past each room and began stomping his foot on the ground, laughing in spite of himself. <clears throat> Still asleep. <laughs> Would you quit it, Rand scolded? We've got to get out of here. He hurried on ahead of his companion, paying no heed to his friend's ailment. Vince groaned in frustration and caught up with his partner. That freak in there was such a glitch and pain. He could have been a lot more, Vince. Rand said, noticeably anxious. "'You're looking worse every time you get out of there. "'We need to find another shifter to go with you next time. "'The opposition is getting too strong.' "'There are no other shifters,' Vince reminded him. "'Not now, but Daniel said—' "'Hold on.' "'Vince pulled back on Rand's shoulder. "'The two stopped and listened for a moment.' As the clumping of boots became louder, a group of four Atlantis security guards came trumping around the corner. On seeing the two computer techs, they reflexively snapped into a two-row firing formation. Their bulky disruptors whined into a charged status as Ran and Vincent threw their arms upward. "'Don't shoot!' Ran spattered. "'Motives! Now!' the squad leader bellowed. "'We were doing a routine check,' Rand stammered nervously, when the virus locked us in Block 27." "'There was no virus. The sweep was clean,' the leader pounced back. "'That's because we contained it,' Ran countered. "'Right here.' He held out a standard silver hand console. The commander slid the visor of his helmet aside to inspect the object from a distance, then tapped one of his officer's shoulders and pointed to Ran. The junior officer stood from his crouched position, then charged down his disruptor, holstering it, and slowly approached the technicians. Within six feet of the pair, he removed his helmet, holding it in one hand, and reached out with the other to take the pad. Ran handed it over without hesitation and stepped back, raising his arms again. The inspecting officer tapped a few buttons and then turned, confused, to his superior. Sir, I I don't see any kind of virus on here. Oh, sorry, that's my fault, Ran smiled helpfully. I use a really small visual setting, should be in the lower left grid. As the officer buried his nose into the pad, squinting, Ran pressed a hidden trigger on the side of his index finger. The stunned officer reeled backward as a cloud of blue smoke burst from the console into his face. Immediately, his helmet and disruptor threw sparks to the floor and began smoking. Vince and Rand took their cue and bolted. Behind them, they heard the guards coughing as the cloud filled the hallway, simultaneously shorting out their electronic weapons and equipment. "'Nanite gas!' the squad leader screamed over the chaos. "'Switch to powder rounds!' "'Chunks of marble sprayed from the walls as a hailstorm of bullets came down around the escaping duo. "'They took a fast left, nearly slipping on the black polished floor, and ducked into the first room they saw. "'The guards stopped firing and took up the chase once more. "'The steady clumping of the guards' boots alerted Ran and Vincent to their impending discovery. "'Crouched in the dark room, the two looked at their surroundings. "'They were inside a computer lab.' Sleek, aerodynamic desks were lined neatly in four rows of six, each equipped with a paper-thin monitor and keypad. Vincent scanned his friend, checking for injuries. "'I'm fine,' Ran whispered warningly. Vincent's head swiveled around him, suddenly noticing something wrong. "'Oh, Frizz, where's your bag?' "'I had to leave it,' he said, unconcerned. Vince looked at Ran as though he had just swallowed a live grenade. "'Oh, knock it off. I've got most of what I need here,' Ran said, sifting through the various pouches hanging around his belt. "'You're going to have to shift, though.' "'What?' Vince jumped. "'I'm not leaving you here with those pulse-happy maniacs.' "'I'll be fine,' Rand said, putting a reassuring hand on Vincent's shoulder. "'If you can give me some cover, there's a bathroom with a shower just across the hall.' Rand pulled a black, filter-like device out of his front pouch. "'That's nanotechnology,' Vince exclaimed in shock. "'Have you even tested it yet?' "'It's safer than sunscreen. Now get out there,' Ran said, grabbing Vince by the arm.' Outside, the guards had regrouped and rounded the corner to the hallway Vince and Ran had ducked into. Before they could get into formation, the door flew open and Vincent burst out, running toward the guards. "'You owe me for this, Ran,' he muttered under his breath. In the background, Ran leapt across the hallway into the bathroom, diving and rolling until he was next to a shower stall. His adrenaline pumped in overtime as he stumbled into the small booth and began screwing the strange filter attachment to the shower head. The world seemed to flow in slow motion as Vincent shot into the air toward the guards. He could hear the leader somewhere in the back of his mind screaming out the order to fire. He even felt the impact of the first five armor-piercing bullets as they ripped into his chest, but no pain. In his mind, with his eyes closed, he spoke the words he had been taught to pray. "'Into your hands I commit. My spirit!' The guards looked on in awe as the figure leaping in front of them dissolved away as if jumping through a door into nothingness." After the shock of seeing a man disappear before their eyes faded, the leader pointed and led the charge. The other one's in the bathroom! The spirit plane is a funny thing, Vince thought to himself. The guards could no longer see him, and looking down, he saw that the gunshot wounds had disappeared as well. From Vincent's point of view, his surroundings had not changed, but the number of beings present had grown significantly. As the guards looked on in frozen shock, Vincent locked eyes with the three demonic creatures standing behind them. Their blackened hides rippled with muscular tension, and their solid blood-red eyes glowed softly as they sized him up. Preparing for the coming conflict, sharpened bones split through the skin on their spines and forearms, arming them with razor-edged blades. Having been in situations like this dozens of times, Vincent found it hard to believe that people could be unaware of the war raging around them. He had no choice. He wouldn't be leaving this building without fighting somebody. Oddly, he felt better off fighting the beasts in here than going up against a few mortal security guards in the physical world. He just hoped Iran was doing okay. The young genius frantically finished screwing on the attachment and turned the water pressure to full blast. He turned around rapidly, trying to make sure every part of his body was as drenched as possible. The door to the bathroom burst open outside Rand's stall. He turned off the water and pressed another hidden pressure pad near his left shoulder, taking in a deep breath as he did so. The first guard to arrive kicked open Rand's stall, gun pointed and ready to fire. He looked, puzzled, into the dripping shower and turned to the others. "'He's not in here. Check the others.' One by one, the doors to the stalls were kicked in with the same result. Each was completely empty. "'He must have slipped out during the confusion,' the leader said. "'Check the rest of the floor and then regroup downstairs. He couldn't have gone far.' The guards scattered out in the hallway and the sound of their boots faded until only the hum of the air conditioner was audible. Inside the dripping stall... The tiled wall relaxed and let out a sigh of relief as the warped translucence of a human form shaded itself with color. A young man was revealed, covered in a clear, viscous fluid. Ran Galvanic breathed out again as he headed for the door. "'Fellas, come on, do you really want to do this?' Vince reasoned, showing his palms in a friendly gesture. "'If you know who I am, you know that I've dealt with your cast before, and you and I are both aware that your reinforcements will never get here in time.' The demon in the center, standing slightly taller than the others, but otherwise identical, took a step forward and hissed, "'You will die here, child of the king. I shall wear your essence as a trophy.'" Vincent raised an eyebrow and winced. "'You fellas haven't been out of the pit much since the fall, have you?' He leaned his head forward, slightly waiting for a response. It came only in ragged, raspy breaths. "'Well, sharpen your pencils, boys, and take good notes. I suspect this will be educational.'" The tall demon howled in defiance and leapt at Vincent like a lion set on fire. Vincent's body swiveled to the side faster than thought, trailing a blur of afterimages, and the demon sailed past him. The creature struck the floor and rolled several meters, but was back on its feet growling and snarling even before the other two monsters attacked. The first spun around, extending his black, scaly leg in a kick to Vincent's head. As if possessing precognitive powers, Vincent calmly lifted his palm and intercepted the demon's foot, then, grabbing firmly onto it with both hands, he twisted on the ankle sharply, causing the fiend to barrel roll in the air and smash into the second oncoming beast. The two went tumbling to the floor, but the second managed to thrust a fistful of flame in Vincent's direction. The blazing projectile slammed into his midsection, and his clothes instantly caught fire. After a second volley from both of the recovering demons, joined by the larger one from behind, Vincent's entire body became engulfed in searing flames. The three demons shot their heads upward and howled in victory. But the flames on Vincent's form began to sweep and reassemble, concentrating their combined presence to his right arm. The demons returned their attention to their foe and watched in confusion. As the flames finally gathered into a white, writhing flash of light in his fist, the fallen aberrations were struck by the sudden horrified realization that they had greatly underestimated their enemy. A glint of light streaked through Vincent's eyes as he smiled and raised his brilliantly shining hand. The white fire erupted from his fingers and threw the two demons backward, forcing them to disperse through the wall behind them. The large demon stepped back in uncertainty for just a moment, then charged forward, extending his jagged, protruding bone in front of him and screaming with an unholy rage. His arm cut through the air and slashed at Vincent's throat, but was stopped abruptly, just inches from its target, by a shining silver blade. The two stood frozen, smelling each other's breath, as the demon looked down at the broadsword gripped in Vincent's hands. "'No,' the demon whispered in disbelief. "'Sorry,' Vincent replied apologetically. "'Thrusting out his left hand, he grabbed the demon by the neck. "'Vincent turned the sword in a circle beside him to give it momentum, "'then slammed the pointed tip with a brittle crunch through the demon's exoskeletal hide, "'driving into his heart. "'The demon fell backward, the sword still embedded in his chest, and gasped. "'Vince followed him and retook the handle of the blade. "'The demon gurgled up a black liquid as Vince used the sword to force him to a standing position.' Go to hell, Guardian, he spat in a gravelly hiss. Oh, sure, Crispy. Vince smiled agreeably. I just love what it's done for your complexion. With a frozen smile, he viciously twisted the blade clockwise, making the demon scream in agony. Say hi to your prince for me. He looked at the demon one last time and winked, just before it exploded in a rainstorm of flaming entrails. As the smoke cleared, He slowly lowered his blade and let it vanish in an ethereal vapor, leaving only the hilt. Placing it in a pouch hanging discreetly in the back of his belt, he headed out of the building. Outside the corporate tower, Rand ducked for cover in a nearby alley. As he rounded the corner, he let out a scream muffled by a quick palm as Vincent pulled him out of the light. Ran let out a sigh of relief as Vince removed his hand. "'Are you okay?' "'Yeah,' Vince said. "'The bullet wounds healed as soon as I shifted, same as always.' Got a little more exercise once I was in, though. Ran looked both concerned and disappointed. How many? Three. But they were lower cast, nothing to worry about. Still, the concentration seems to be getting higher every day, Ran observed. How about you? Vince said, running his finger through the transparent slime still covering Ran's cheek. Your magical snot do the trick? Yeah, just in time, too. Let's get out of here, he said, looking around in fatigue. I'm done for the day. I'm with you on that one, Vince replied, flicking the slime on his finger to the ground. This job is getting weirder all the time. Um, excuse me, a small voice called from the sidewalk behind them. It had come from a man in his late twenties, topped with short brown hair. He was dressed in a black polytextile jacket, shirt, and pants, a hallmark of the modern entertainment industry. But strangely, this man, who no doubt performed for many, looked a little uncertain of himself in front of only two men. Uh... "'My name's Merrick,' he said. "'I I think I'm supposed to meet someone here.' "'He paused, reluctant to say any more, "'but pressed on despite his lack of confidence. "'Dirk Anderson sent me... sort of.' "'Vince and Rand looked at each other in confusion, "'followed by resignation. "'Their night had just begun. "'The dream came to him again, "'as it had consistently for the past six nights. "'But on this, the seventh night... It came with a strange urgency, vividly driving each image further into his mind. A vast wheat field spread out before him. The gentle wind of a summer afternoon manipulated the field, making it bend and sway, as though it had a life all its own. The wheat grew so thick that he almost didn't see the figure until it was upon him. Although he had seen this dream six times before, each time the sudden appearance of the creature terrified him. The blade seemed to sing as it flashed inches in front of him, cutting a path through the wheat. The grains dashed all around him as the figure stepped into view. A blackened mist was the only distinguishing feature of this being. Its shape suggested a human form hidden underneath, but the depth of its darkness would never reveal a face. Instead, the instrument it carried defined this nightmare creature, a gigantic scythe. The black bowed handle, extended over six feet in length, the curved blade itself easily four. The terror rose up in him again, but he knew the scythe was not here for him. The dark cloud moved silently past him and continued to utilize the scythe. As he watched, the wheat fell to the ground. Many grains burst into ash upon contact with the earth, but some remained. Those that did grew up from the ground and took the form of men and women, each covered in the ashes left by the scorched grains. One by one they stood and followed the scythe, and as they did, a light from the sky washed over them, blowing the ashes from their bodies. In mere moments, thousands had risen from the ground to follow the scythe, as the mysterious creature cut a path across the field. The sheer power of the creature terrified him, but he knew that it had not come to destroy. It had come to liberate. Isaiah Daniels jerked upward from his sleep and frantically looked around him, unsure of where he was. In the darkened room, the moonlight peering through the shuttered window made the sweat on his brow glisten. He wiped it away unconsciously, taking stock of where he was. The dream was over, and he was back at the underground headquarters. The vast field had now been replaced by his small room, laden with pipes and wiring that, although serving practical functions, made the atmosphere cold and sterile. Alone on his disheveled bedspread, Isaiah examined himself in the mirror hanging from the metallic frame of his headboard. In the dream, he had been whole, but in the cold, solitary darkness of the real world, Isaiah Daniels was wasting away again, a victim of the plague that had come with the strange diplomats from another world. Although he was only thirty-four years old, he resided in the decaying body of a ninety-seven year old man the most prominent effect of the virus was its ability to force rapid aging upon its victims. Naturally, a cure had been sought immediately, but the intricacies of the alien biological processes the virus utilized proved to be too complicated for men. Of course, a cure was still being searched for, but no one was very helpful. The Earth-residing aliens, whose people were known as the Sheda, weren't being very helpful either. According to their religious customs, they were forbidden to aid those who claim their god to be false. Although the world nation as a whole had never spoken against or made any claims at all concerning the religious beliefs of the Sheda, the rumors of truth-seeking fundamentalists were reason enough, the Sheda felt, to withdraw their services. By the time the virus had come to earth, the World Church of Unity was already in full swing and the ruling for banning biblical texts had already been passed. But with the onslaught of this unbeatable disease, pressure to uproot and wipe out truth-seekers became even more intense. And so the Silicate Foundation was established. Ruled by a council of five Shada and one human representative, it was created to link the efforts of both races for their mutual benefit. The first campaign marshaled by the Silicate Foundation was the further advancement of the World Church of Unity. Although the Silicate Foundation had always claimed to be wholly against violence in any form, Isaiah Daniels couldn't help but notice the upgrade in devastation and precision among the terrorist groups attacking exclusionist churches, as more and more credit streamed into the accounts of the WCU. The Sheda had come to earth ten years earlier in 2141, The Silicate Foundation had been formed in 2146, and Isaiah Daniels, aware of the first symptoms of his disease, went into hiding in 2148. For the last three years, he had been led by his visions to gather special men throughout the world and bring them here, to prepare them for the battle to come. Each one was given Isaiah's personal attention, each one knew exactly what was expected of them, and each one spent the first night wide awake, contemplating the same words that Isaiah would speak one final time tonight. Only on this last night, the words would have deeper meaning and more profound truth than ever before. For tonight, his nightmare had come to visit him while he was awake. The fortified metallic door leading from Isaiah's room to the main hall hissed open, accompanied by the hum of hydraulics. The light that flooded inward was partially blocked by the silhouette of a young man. "'Sir, Vince and Ran are back, and they've brought someone with them.' "'I know,' Isaiah stated simply, gazing out through his small window into the moonlight." Sir? the boy asked, confused. Brushing his question aside, Isaiah stood and faced the boy, confused once again. Tell them to go to the conference room. I will meet them there shortly. Yes, sir, the boy nodded sharply and left. The door groaned electronically as it closed behind him. Alone again, Isaiah allowed himself a second glance toward the night sky. Lord, I want nothing more than to be with you tonight. But for what must come first? Isaiah faltered his breath flowing in shorter intervals. The fear had come for him again. In anguish, he let his weight fall back on the frame of the bed, leaning over it as though he was about to collapse. Oh God, give me strength, he moaned in utter helplessness. In stark realization of what tonight would mean for them all, the tears began to flow freely down his cheeks. An eternity seemed to pass for Isaiah as he watched each one fall to the floor. Soon, he found himself there as well. The three young men stood in awkward silence, waiting for the messenger to return. Merrick looked around him in wonder at the underground fortress. It was incredible. The room they stood in was nearly the size of a military hangar. The ceiling extended for hundreds of feet, and all around the walls were catwalks and iron ladders leading to different hallways on six different levels. Although the entire area had the feeling of an industrial factory, there was a life about it that made it warm and welcoming at once." On each level, coming out of each doorway were men at work. Every one of them carried out some unknown task. Every face was filled with a sense of purpose and meaning. They were all strangers to him now, but Merrick hoped that would quickly change. Finally, Merrick broke the silence with a question. How far underground are we? About half a mile, Vince answered. The warehouse we came in through Topside was one of the first things the Liberation pooled its resources to purchase. Isaiah, over time... Secured the rights to build underneath it as well. But we had to take things slow and careful at first. The idea, Rand continued, was to convince everyone that Isaiah had run out of funds to continue any underground building. Technically, someone out there knows that the warehouse is private property, but with Isaiah in hiding under here... Rand smiled proudly, folding his arms in front of him, and a few ingenious masking programs circulating in the RCF mainframe. No one suspects or even cares what we're up to, Vince finished. "'Okay,' Merrick fished for an opening. "'So what are you guys up to?' "'Excuse me, sirs,' a young man approached from behind them, dressed in grey fatigues. Merrick noticed an unusual flaming cross embroidered just below the left shoulder. "'Isaiah will see you in the conference room momentarily.' "'For just a moment,' Merrick thought he saw the young man's eyes flash in a kaleidoscope of emerald green. "'Thank you, David,' Rand responded. "'Go and tell the others to join us there in an hour.' "'Yes, sir.' He bowed slightly and walked briskly back down another hallway. Vince and Rand began walking immediately toward the other end of the main room. Shaking off his curiosity and peeling his eyes away from the young man named David, Merrick turned and stumbled after the duo. "'Who who, who was that? His eyes—' "'A prophet, of sorts,' Vince answered mysteriously. "'David is relatively new to the Liberation, but he has been given an extraordinary gift, very different from the rest of us.' Vincent paused, uncertain if he should continue." He is also the one who will speak for God when Isaiah is gone. When they reached the wooden double doors at the other end, Rand turned to Merrick. You know of our leader's condition. Please be respectful to it and to him. He is very weak now, but his words will give you a strength you have never known. Vincent pushed the right side open and gestured for the two to step inside. Putting a soft but stable hand on Merrick's shoulder, Rand ushered him into the conference room. It was surprisingly small, only about twenty-five feet in length and width and a large oak table surrounded by metal stools took up the majority of the room. The room was cool enough now, but Merrick could already feel the temperature rising as he locked eyes with the brittle, weary old man at the other end of the table, sitting in a state-of-the-art medical hoverchair. His breathing was raspy and audible from where Merrick stood, his frame bent over, supported by his arms resting on the table. But despite his weakness, his eyes glimmered with a deep, rich blue, a remnant of the youthful man trapped within. His voice, although weak, displayed a confidence and charisma that set aside any doubts as to his position here. Sit down, Merrick, Isaiah smiled. It's time we figured out just who you are. Don't you know? Merrick tested. The first bits of doubt began to crawl up his back. I have an idea. Do you? Merrick paused for a moment, unsure of how to answer, then decided not to, and took a seat opposite Isaiah at the far end of the table. Oh, don't be so dramatic, the old man chuckled. This isn't an interrogation. Come. He patted the table next to him. Each stool is equally as comfortable, I assure you. Merrick stood a little more at ease, but still on his guard, and sat on the stool next to the Liberation's leader. Now, Isaiah began, there is much I need to tell you, but first let's answer some of the questions that have no doubt been plaguing you of late. Where to begin, Merrick thought. Uh, uh, All right, the man in white. Who, Who was he? who sent him? Isaiah peered into his eyes for a moment. Do you believe in the supernatural, Mr. Vendarius? Well, as much as the next guy, I guess. You saying he was some kind of ghost? Absolutely not, but he was a creature from the invisible world around us. Merrick laughed nervously. (laughs) He looked pretty visible to me. Well, most have the ability to move in and out of the physical world. Most what? Merrick was getting impatient. What was he? Isaiah breathed out slowly in thought and leaned on the back of his chair. It sounds as though he was from the messenger cast, possibly Gabriel himself. He told you the day of your demise, correct? Uh, yeah, and so far, well, I'm not dead. Isaiah smiled cleverly, reading into Merrick's words. But you think you should be, right? Merrick smirked. (laughs) Well, if you knew what I've been through since that night... "'Actually, I do,' Isaiah responded, pulling a data pad from his lap and setting it on the tabletop. "'Can you verify these incidents?' He slid the pad over to Merrick, who looked it over quickly, trying to hide his amazement, and observed, "'You missed last night.' "'I'm sorry,' Isaiah smiled. Merrick probed the old man's eyes and shook his head in resignation. He turned and briefly scanned all three of the strangers in the room. "'Who are you guys?' You've been listening to the audiobook edition of Spiritblade, written and narrated by Peter Franson, with music by Bjorn A. Lynn, Unique Tracks, and John Dahl. To experience the groundbreaking cinematically produced audio dramas based on this story, visit www.spiritblade.net. Thanks for listening. This is Peter Franson from Spirit Blade Productions. If you're one of those misfit Christians that likes sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comic books, then I'd love for you to hang out with me every week at the Spirit Blade Underground podcast. Get some news and reviews on your favorite geeky subjects and join the conversation as we compare it all to the Bible. No suits, pews, or churchy language. I'm just a fanatical geek searching for the truth, and I'm hoping you'll join me find us on iTunes or go to spiritblade.net slash podcast see you there and in all things seek the truth